Welcome to episode 278 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. Before I get started, I wanted to tell you again about a new podcast. Monkeys and Playbills is a bi-weekly musical theatre podcast where hosts Paul DeGurse and Gillian Willems examine Broadway musicals that close with under 100 performances. Come along on a deep dive of theatre history to discuss Broadway's biggest flops, hidden gems, and total disasters. You can check them out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. If you've enjoyed listening to Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, please consider rating the podcast with five stars. If you're so inclined, you can also leave a review. Your ratings help new people find the show. And if you know someone that you think will like Stageworthy, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I knew told me about them. And remember... You can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 278 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. My guests this week are Joella Crichton and Sedna Fiati, who join me to talk about the Black Pledge. The Black Pledge is an open call for positive, lasting change in live art spaces across Canada so that they truly reflect the beautiful mosaic tapestry of our nation. I would encourage every organization to take it. There's going to be a pledge for individuals coming soon, so watch for that at theblackpledge.ca. Now here's my conversation with Joella and Sedna. So uh, Joella and Joella and I were were just talking a little bit before before you got here, Sedna, about uh, the Black Pledge, and um, about how how it's 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 one of those things where you know back in June, so many companies were putting out their their Black Lives Matter statements, but with no path to what that meant. No, like it's all well and good to say that you know solidarity with with the cause and all of that stuff but if you're going to make changes what's that path and i think a lot of people were making were asking that question so you've you've said this what's the next step and a lot of them didn't respond so um the black pledge is 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 sort of like a, a you know it's a great way for companies to to use that as a framework if they haven't already started to um when you when did work on on this start? I had the idea back in June. Um, I have to say I was sitting with a lot of anger um, because I just felt like, as you said, all of these organizations were posting these solidarity statements, and it was the pan. It's the pandemic. It was. It is the pandemic, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of time to think, and I realized. 
how much anger I had. And I, I also thought there's, what am I going to do about this? You know? So sometime around June or July, I decided to put down my thoughts on paper as to what I wanted to see personally. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we need a pledge. No. And, and then I emailed this group called the wine down, which is a group of black women theater practitioners um, that Alicia Richardson has put together. And she's been so great at maintaining this list. The wine down was just designed actually as a play reading group, like once a month, let's get together and read a play by a black woman. And prior to the pandemic, it was that. And then when the pandemic hit, it started to be play readings every week. And then when the uprising started to happen, it started to be like a bit of a weekly check-in. So we were really active at that point. And so I emailed and was like, I have this idea for a pledge, who's with me? And, And then we started the process from there. It has really evolved since then. <laughs> it's really changed since my original thoughts. It's It seems like the intent is pretty much the same, but I feel like the words are very different, which is fine and good because um, I'm really about collective action. There's only so much I could have ever done on my own. Mm. Do you want to add anything, um, Joella, about our process or anything? Yeah, I feel like when I saw your email to the wind down um, and I thought, oh, like this is something I could actually participate in. This is something that I could stand behind and um, actually actively make a change for other people. And that was really exciting because there is a lot of talking that happens and it's talk, 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 no action. And (laughs) I love knowing that we could you know, actually create something that somebody could, you know, look at and say, hey, I just have to do these steps and I'm already, you know, creating a more open and welcoming world. So mm. um, the process, and and I think I started talking with you, Sedna, in June as well. And the first kind of look over at things and figuring out how we're going to work as a collective and and how we're going to come to the pledge where everybody feels comfortable with the words on the page that sort of i think that has also evolved but the process have been has been really open and has been um really welcoming to everybody and has been accepting to feedback and sort of um using that feedback to mold and shape what the first iteration was so it's been it's it's been like kind of a really beautiful process also to just work with people and create this thing. Yeah. Um, just on the topic of, of, of theaters and, and organizations talk, talk, talking with no action. Um, I don't, I've, I've gone to a lot of panel discussions about diversity in theater and theaters love to have the panel discussions to bring uh, uh, black performers and people of color into a room and have them tell them how to solve the problem and then not take any action. Um, I've been to a lot of those. Um, Sedna, you've sat on a lot of those panels. I've seen you at several. Um, and I think the, the the Black Lives Matter solidarity statements, I think in some ways were kind of the same thing to me. Like we're going to put this out and I don't know if, if, if some of them were thinking, you know, maybe when this is all over, people will forget and we don't have to do anything, but <laughs> and I'm really, I'm really cynical about that kind of stuff. Like 
what was the plan, but this is great. I've read through it. And I think that, that it's a great, like I said, framework for a company to actually start taking steps. Um, I know the, the copy that I have is in draft form. It's being released on February 22nd. This episode will come out after the release. Um, how many drafts or how, is it possible to say how many drafts you've, you've done of this? <laughs> I don't know, countless. The one that we have now is Pledge 3.4. And I feel like each of those <laughs> pledges have probably had like four or five drafts each of each, like one, two, three, four. There's been a lot of drafts. Um, I really hear what you're saying around the, the countless panels. Um, and it, it can really feel like, not even can, those panels haven't been followed by action. Mm-hmm. I do feel though, um, in defense of theaters, and I'm not often one to do that. Um, I think because due to both the combination of the pandemic and the uprisings, a lot of theater organizations have been, have been doing this work. Because I think before it wasn't clear exactly what the work was. You know, and I think with the pledge, we're really trying to dig into those of us who are Black artists and practitioners, like, what we want the work to be. Mm. Because I think there's an aspect of it, especially when we're talking about diversity, where it's just about, okay, for instance, it'll just be like, let's have more black, let's hire more black artists. You know what I mean? Like that's been, or let's just hire more BIPOC artists. And the thing is, is that that has happened to a certain extent. And then we get there and the discrimination that we have experienced Mm -hmm. if it's not from the theaters themselves it's from the communities that we've been in Mm -hmm. and so we've come and then joella can speak to this but probably doesn't want to talk (laughs) about particular experiences but the it's like we're here now what and they didn't also like a lot of organizations didn't anticipate what it meant to bring in BIPOC artists in their space. Mm -hmm. They thought that just doing that is enough and it isn't Mm -hmm. Um, because they really need to dig deep to the entire like scaffold and framework of which they're working with and that everyone who works with them needs to understand what it means to invite historically underrepresented groups into your space. Mm you can't continue as normal as before. It's gonna actually fundamentally change how you work and how people are treated. So actually a lot of theaters are doing the deep dive work because they have the time because unfortunately, you know, it's not like we can do live performance anyway. And so they're really diving into how they work, what it is they stand for and what their values are Um, which is great. I I applaud, we all applaud these efforts. But for us as Black artists, I think what's been so great is that we're coming together and saying what we want because I actually feel on a whole, artists have been, as a group of people, we aren't actually organized in of ourselves. (laughs) Artists and practitioners, like 
we've got equity, which I've worked with, and we've got like the PGC and the ADC. But if you're not a member of those organizations or your work files out outside of those jurisdictions, like I've been an arts manager, as an example, equity doesn't cover me when I do that kind of work. So there hasn't really been a space for us to organize. And so we've had to make it Mm. and create the space to organize and think about what is the industry that we want. And we're actually going to demand it. Um, We're going to demand it, even though some people don't like that word. I'm I'm okay with it. So yeah. Joella, what are your thoughts? I'm always, I have so much to say. I know. I know. I actually really like listening to you too. So I'm just sitting here like, ah, Seth is talking. No, um, I'm, I'm thinking about your comment. Um, Phil about, you know, checking off the boxes, you know, and sort of saying, um, oh, we want to do diversity. So we're just going to do this thing, or we're just going to chat about it. And I think like, um, one thing most theaters are lacking is like community awareness, even though to me, theater or the theater that I want in my life is about the community and telling community stories. And so, uh, you know, when you're thinking of diversity, you can't just think of like, you have to actually figure out what that word means for you in your community. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's always possible, but thankfully, you know, because of what has happened in the world recently, there is a collective awareness that's happening. And because of that collective awareness, it's spreading a lot wider than just you know, the individual, it's like, if I run a theater company, how can I actually create change in my community? Or what can I do in my community? And um, that's an important step, you know, in being willing to sign on to the pledge, because it's more than just what you're putting on stage. It's like the stories, it's the people, it's the community, it's the message you're sending. So when I get hired as a theater artist and I get sent out to, you know, a small company somewhere in Ontario and I am the only black artist there and everybody in the audience is non-black or white and, you know, they, they're unsure of what's going on or they're not as open to this story or whatever it is, um, you know, that creates a lot of uh, discomfort and it can be painful for the artist. And that's because you're not actually looking into the community and the work that needs to be done. You're, you're, you're attempting to just create diversity in your, in, on your stage. Mm-hmm. And and um, that's, I don't think that's good enough. No, because I think a lot of times the theaters are like, we're just going to, we can put some, some, some black people on the stage and that will solve everything without, like you say, like putting people in the back room with the directors, if the directors are not black, if the, if there's no people in the office of color, if there's like all of this stuff, there's like, you can't just do the one, you have to do it all. Um, and also in, you know, if you're going to a small town in Ontario, I mean, I've heard some stories coming out of Stratford about the racism there that, 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 black performers are experiencing as members of the company, not just, not necessarily from the, the, the festival, but from the town and how are they being supported by the festival? And I think that that's something that the festival has to, has to, be part of like if if they are bringing like they have to address the racism in the community as well as the racism in in their organization yeah and i think like i 
I am in the position in my career where I actually don't have, I don't have the option to choose. Mm-hmm. If I get a job at Stratford, I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> I have to go. And because I'm not working right now and I need a job and that, you know, a lot of people are not, you know, they get there and then they have if this, it's like, oh, this is where I'm at all mm-hmm. year. And it's, um, it's racist. And it's painful. And, um, you know, within within the black artists, everybody knows that. Wouldn't you say, Senda, most most theater artists that are black, we're all aware that if you go to Stratford, you're going to experience racism. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And word gets around. And not just Stratford, but any number of smaller towns all over Canada. Uh, where we accept work because the work in the city isn't plentiful (laughs) you know it isn't like if you want to be a theater practitioner in Canada like unless you're like working as an arts manager like your work is going to take you all over Mm -hmm. um it's sometimes it'll be in Toronto but sometimes it'll be in Stratford if you get that opportunity or it it could be in like Ishmaenis you know yeah it could be in Thunder Bay um so yeah, the word gets around, you know, that, that it's, that, that it's going to be really hard in some ways. It's going to be, you know, that you're going to be one of very few Black people. And the other Black people that you have will be the people who you're working with, you know, which is mm-hmm. if you are even lucky enough to have that. And so, but even the theaters in the city, it's, there's just a lot of work to be done. Um, and the work, the work is, is hard in the sense of like, it's just very detailed, you know, like you really have to go through department by department and really think about, okay, how, how are we interfacing with black people here? You know, and it isn't enough to just produce a show because what we've seen time and time again is that they produce the shows, but they don't retain the audiences. So the audiences might show up for that one show. Mm Uh, that one black show that you did. Um, something else that we've really been thinking about in the collective is just even black Canadian work. Mm. Like that doesn't even get programmed. Like we're often looking to the States for a black American work. Like for instance, years ago, it was all about mountaintop. Like that was done all over Canada mm-hmm. or years before that. It was like intimate apparel that kind of made the rounds, you know, um, all these it's, we want to see homegrown talent have an opportunity to get more than one production. Yeah. You know, more than one black production. And I actually feel that if theater is supposed to be for everyone and if it's supposed to be for the community, like Joella said, and I agree with that too, then I feel like theater has the opportunity to be something transformative you know, and Mm. theater should really think about how it can be that. Um, And not just assuming just because they do it, it's going to be that it's, it's deeper engagement that's required with both the, the practitioners and the community itself. Um, Because I feel like we have a real opportunity here. And I, I honestly, on a whole, the Canadian arts scene, every discipline disappoints me because I see many talented artists I see many talented black artists who do not get the opportunities that they deserve. Mm-hmm. And I see a real disconnect between what is happening on the stages 
and what needs to happen in the community. Mm. And to the point where I don't even think that, I, when I think about black artists and black audiences, a lot of, we, we don't even feel like we're connected to black audiences. We wanna be, mm-hmm. but we're not there yet. Like a, you can ask the average black person, I swear, like you find a friend of ours, Joella, like an uncle or an auntie or whatever, like when's the last time they went to the theater, even to see a black show. They probably couldn't tell you. They might quote a Mervis show. Mm. You know, that's where we're at. So we have a lot of work to do. And beyond looking at it as a challenging, which it is, it actually, I think, is an opportunity for something way better and way deeper and way more meaningful than what we've experienced yet. Mm-hmm. There's this, I mean, I'm going to say something that's a little bit heretical, but um, the good thing is that we're in a pandemic and nobody can do theater because, and I say that because previously the treadmill of production, the never ending treadmill of production was an excuse not to do the deep work. We don't have time for that. We're producing work. We're in this cycle. We're putting together this season. We're rehearsing, we're producing. We can't do that now. Now there's no excuse not to do the work now. And the companies should and need to, 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 to examine and, and, and create a way forward for, for their, how they're going to, to address this and how they're going to be better. You are completely right. That should be the slogan. You <laughs> had, the slogan should be, you had time. Mm. What have you done? Like, there's no, there's no better time than right now to look at it. And that's why it's like, you know, we've, we've worked really hard so that we could have, we could get it during this time, get it out there during this time. Um, Because we do feel that that's like a major you know, a point. And it's also a major, I'm sure some people feel like it's an issue to just keep producing and producing and putting out plays and putting out plays and, you know, having the same amount of people not come and see them because it's the same stuff. It's the same actors. It's the same whatever. Right. So um, I personally feel like just with the climate of what's happening and the way the world is kind of turning or spinning right now, it's a good time to begin this work. And Sedna can talk to this a lot too. It's like, we know, Phil, that this is a process. Process, process, process. We get it. Like that's, that's, you know, it has to be a process. But one of the big things about the pledge is like communication during the process, talking to the people you work with, talking to your board members, seeing your faults, talking about things, mistakes you had in the past, how you want the future to be. And, um, that process is to me it's really healthy because it helps the company or the individual kind of um create their own way to rectify some of the challenges that we have mm-hmm. yeah you know something that joella and i thankfully had the opportunity to do a workshop um where we incorporated the pledge at PatCon, um because PatCon last year professional association of Canadian theaters com- annual conference this year is just online and they were actually really open to all kinds of um, proposals. So we proposed, we want to dream black futures for live performances, what the name of our session was. And, you know, I feel like the pledge where it was at that time, to be honest, was a, was a bit too prescriptive. And so there's a lot of questions that came up. It's like, well, what if we can't do this? What if it, we can't? And we're like, okay. So we went back 
And now I feel like the pledge talks about some very specific things that everybody has to and can do. Mm. Um, like it's within their capacity to, to do that. And then there's, we want, you know, organizations and individuals to be creative in how they're going to meet the needs of the pledge. Because I feel so, it's always been an interesting conundrum for me as an like doing this equity, diversity and inclusion work or anti-oppression, anti-racism work. Because uh, oftentimes there's always been a feeling of like, of confusion and helplessness where it's like, well, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you know, we can figure out all kinds of things in the theater. We can <laughs> like, we really can. Like somehow we're managing to fly someone from the gal. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like to make things come up from the bottom of the stage to make all kinds of magic happen. And yet when we talk about this, it's like that creativity and innovation and curiosity just seems to go out the window. So we want to bring those qualities back and think about mm-hmm. for folks as Joella said to go through the process of listening and hearing and then thinking about what is right for our organization right now. What are the right steps for us to take? And I really want, I said this earlier today in a different call, but you know, I want to move from helplessness, guilt, and shame mm-hmm. into, into joy and action. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, joy is a hard one because it's like, oh, well, you know, they really organizations really have to reckon with their pasts and with the way that they've harmed people. Mm. But beyond that, I mean, I might replace the word joy with energy, Mm. you know, with like an energy of possibility and hope um, for something better because it needs to be fueled by that. As a black person, it's hard out here. (laughs) Like be surprised that I use those words, but like the, our legacy of trauma is deep. And so we need, personally, I need to look to something better than, than my own personal traumas and even mm-hmm. our collective traumas, you know? Yeah. There's, I mean, I think a lot of companies and, and, and they have to be prepared for the fact that the work is uncomfortable, especially for a company that is largely white and hasn't really faced their, the racism in their company before. Um, but I like the, I like energy. I also like joy because there should be like, there's a joy in, in, in change, although it can be frightening. There's a joy in, in moving forward. There's a, and there's an excitement to change for the better. And so like bringing in people, like theater people love to meet new people. Why are we like, why are we making it hard to meet new people? Uh, and, 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 and putting those, across a, a color line in, in some cases, you know? Um, I would like, if I could, just for a little bit, I wanna talk a little bit about both of you as artists. Um, as a theater podcast, I, 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 would, I, would, I would love to talk to you about your, your like what is it that, that made you feel like theater was where you wanted to go with your career. Sedna, I know you do, you're a performer, you've done administration, you've done so many things. Um, Where did, let's start with you. Where did you start and how did you start being a doer of so many things? Well, I have ADHD, so that helps. (laughs) 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, my theater, I feel like my journey with performing art, I always will start it from when I was a child, with so many of us can. Um, my father, he's not alive anymore. He died when I was quite young, but he is from Ghana and my mom is from Trinidad. And uh, he start, he was very much an academic and an artist. And he started a Ghanaian drumming and dance group. And when I was young and he, and I would go with him, my sister and I would just like go along with him to all his shows, you know? And I, since then, I remember wanting to be on stage with those folks and wanting to dance with them. And then throughout my childhood, I would watch people performing. I remember something that was really important, which is so cheesy now, but like I saw Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat when I was in grade six with Donnie Osmond, I'm old. Um, and uh, that I saw, I saw people doing that and I wanted to do it too. I just always wanted to sing, you know? I always wanted to dance, I wanted to act, I wanted to do those things. So. Yeah, I ended up taking piano lessons. I'm, I was born in Rexdale. No, sorry, I was born in Toronto, but I grew up mainly in Rexdale. And then I went to Topeka School of the Arts uh, for music theater. Like I started off, I was in music. And then people were always like, are you in music theater? Because you're maybe slightly annoying and dancing and singing in the hallways, which I still do. <laughs> still a thing that happens, by the way. Um, so I, yeah, I, I was like, you know what? I really want to be in music theater. So I changed my major. Uh, to music theater and then I came across uh, Windsor and so I went to do my BFA there in music theater and uh, since I graduated it's been whew, it's been a long time <laughs> and uh, I feel I'm still excited about art I love it um, I've ended up being a multi-hyphenate who knows why like I certainly started, never thought I would be a producer but to a certain extent I've always been a joiner and a person who loves leadership and who loves coming together with people to make things happen, like since high school. So mm. someone asked me to produce a show and then someone else asked me to produce another show. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm a producer now. I'm going to keep doing that. And within the realm of producer, as I'm sure you probably know, you end up just wearing all kinds of hats. So it was just like, okay, I can wear the outreach hat. Sure. I could just do that. Or I can wear the, you know, the marketing hat. I could just do that. Um, and the activism is a hard one because it really came out of a I've always you know I feel like activism was a little bit hit over my head as like an older millennial um like they were just about they were just like the world is gonna end in the 90s I feel like that's what they told us the world is ending there's a hole in the ozone layer it's gonna end so I feel like that spirit has always been there of that the world needs to be better and I just experienced I experienced a lot of discrimination and it was really hard for me in theater and I've now just been on a journey of not wanting it to be so hard for anybody else you know so that's really where the activism comes from is just like looking around knowing what I've experienced seeing what other people are experiencing and just really wanting to end the suffering on multiple levels you know um so yeah my journey's taken me like I was involved in theater I feel like and then there was a few years I wasn't um, and I got involved with activism and then I kind of came back to theater. And so I've ended up marrying my world of activism and theater together. Um, and this is where I've, this is how I've ended up. And the arts administration was like survival. I just was like, I need money. Yeah. <laughs> I need to be paid. Okay. <laughs> I can do Excel. Sure. Mm -hmm. I can like alphabetize things for you. And then this is kind of, so it's the, it's funny because the arts administration and management has always been a means to an end to do the art, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is where I am now in the space of like, what's next for me? You know, I'm at Nightwood right now as the artist activist in residence, which I feel is like bringing together all kinds of different things. 
Um, so yeah, that's kind of my journey. Sorry, I was long. Thank you. For no, listening. no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious. You mentioned like leaving theater for a while. Was that, did you do that by choice or does that, is that something that just like, that was just the path and that's what happened? Yeah, it was by choice. I mean, I, it's funny cause I never really left. I think I just wasn't, I was like deep and I just like went shallow with it in terms of how many shows and things I was doing. But yeah, I did actively say I, I wasn't going to do it for a while. And I moved to, you know, I was really coming out as queer at that time. And I just mm-hmm. was like, I ended up moving to an arts and activism space, like meeting all kinds of artists and activists and learning so much. You know what I mean? I was with this collective called the R3 Collective for a while. And we did all kinds of shows and had far too many meetings. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I did move away actively mm-hmm. for a while. Cause I just was like, I'm not sure I want to do this right now in or in this way. And so I just was like, what else is there for me? You know? Mm. And I think the activism piece has been so great because actually by the time I came back a few years later, people were really hungry for this. And there was mm. a real sea change that we're continuing to see now in being people, us all waking up and being like, why are we doing things this way? Mm. Like, why are we, you know? Um, and so I started to really marry my art and activism there because I understand I'm, I'm an artist. So I know what it is to be in these spaces. And I also have been trying to think about, okay, how do you take activism principles and apply them to artistic practices? Hmm. I'm always fascinated because I think a lot of people leave the theater as they get older. Mm. A lot of people I know from, from my theater school class, I think there's maybe five of us who might still be in theater. And that was of the people who graduated, about 15 people. So 10 of my classmates have given up on theater. Um, and I'm always fascinated by what brings people back. Because you loved something, something uh, you, you had a reason to stop doing it, and something brought you back. So for you, it was, it, it was the activism. Did you miss it? Like, what is it that drew you back? I had a friend who, who tricked me into, into doing a play after about three or four years of, 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 of not doing theater and saying, I don't do that anymore. So what, what was it that brought, that brought you back into, into doing theater? Um, I think that I realized I could make theater in a different way. And I realized that I could and wanted to um, be a part of projects that were about something more than just for the sake of doing a project. Like, so since then, even producing, like, I really wanted to focus on work by women of color. Um, and even as an actor, as an actor, you're kind of like, mm, I'll take usually what comes along because it's not like, yeah. <laughs> there's, they're not like the jobs are plenty. For some, there are, for most of us, there aren't. But certainly, yeah, I've certainly had my eye on that of just being like, what is out there? Who's making interesting things that I want to be a part of that are um that are about something more than just a show for the sake of doing a show. Mm-hmm. I just love being an artist. Like I never stopped being an artist, you know, like that's never stopped. I love art. I will never stop creating because uh, on some fundamental level, it's who I am. And I, I know I won't really be happy doing anything else. Mm. I think it's a weird thing to say, but I'll say it anyways, my own philosophies. Like life is just, you know, I feel like within capitalism, we have to make a lot of choices anyway. So I know people leave theater and they're just like, I'm going to go do something else. But it's mm-hmm. like, I find even the folks of my friends who've left theater, like they're still kind of still doing it or there's still aspects of it that informs the work. It's like, you're never really going to stop being an artist. 
you know, like I know some of my friends who are teachers as an example, mm-hmm. or people who've done sales or real estate lawyering. Those are all aspects that need people who are kind of good with people and who can present mm-hmm. and who understand how to relate to people. So like you never really stop, but I can understand in terms of the state of the industry, especially around the economics of it, why it's really hard to stay. Um, so if you can kind of live with the precarity and mm-hmm. find some happiness in that, then I think it's easier. But for some folks, I totally understand why they're just like, I'm good, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Joella, what was your path to, what, what brought you into theater? What was like, what made you want to do theater? Yeah, it's, you know, I, it's so weird because I've been asked this question so many times and I think mainly my performing bug came through my Caribbean background. Um, I grew up highly involved in the carnival, making costumes and performing. And that sort of culminated in this huge, I'm the nine time queen of carnival here in Toronto. And so that, that level of performing, it's very niche. It's not common amongst everybody, but it's, um, it's important in the community and it's, it's a lot like theater. It's a theatrical performance of a theme and a costume. Um, I think Honestly, Sedna, like I wish I could say that I I know how to merge all the things I'm capable of doing. I'm not at that point yet. And I I even during COVID, I've been thinking like, oh, I can do so much more. But one of the things I desperately enjoy doing, Phil, is just doing a play. I just want to do a show. I don't care. Sometimes I'm just like, I don't even want to be paid. I hate to say that because I just love it so much, but I'm just like, just let me do a show. Is anybody doing a play right now? Cause I would love to do one. And, um, that joy, like the, the love I feel when I'm doing a play that can sustain me, that can sustain me all year. Right. And, and, um, I've been lucky in my life to, to, you know, be able to go to school and get an education and, you know, and, and be in plays. But right now it's sort of like, how am I going to live <laughs> and how am I going to do this? But honestly, Phil, I got my degree at, at, at York university in the acting conservatory. And I actually was there studying biology first and I was doing really bad, really bad. And one day my mom called me and she was like, you're not doing good. Like, what is it that you want to do? And I was like, I want to do acting. I want to do theater. And I just like blurted it out. And I was so happy that I finally like figured it out and said it. And she was like, okay. And I knew so little that all I thought was I'll just audition for this acting program at York. That's, I didn't know anything. I just like went, I went onto the school and I was like, oh, I can do acting at York. That's great. And it turned out to be such a wonderful program for me. And, um, you know, it, I had a really, not saying everybody has it, but I had a really successful experience there. And, um, you know, that, that kind of pushed me into believing in myself and, and getting the support that I needed to continue this career. But, um, 
I also have recognized that, um, like Sedna, I want to help people and I want to make things, you know, it doesn't, I don't know, equals not the right word, but there's something about this work that I feel um, bringing awareness to the masses is important for me. And um, I worked on with Sedna on a campaign called Share the Screen that we did a couple years ago for, for film. I've also been an initiative called the Bechtel Bill that was for film that I launched at TIFF and, and um, really learned a lot about starting something from the ground and building it up. And, and of course, now I'm doing the pledge and um, all those things have informed this one, but this one, it, this one, you know, it hits home in a different way because um, a lot of the things we're talking about in the pledge is, has affected my life and has affected my career. Hmm. So, yeah. I have a, just, uh, you sort of dropped this little, this little nugget of like, you were studying biology. So what, what made, like, were, was that something that you were, um, you convinced yourself that you should do? How did you go? How did you get it? How did you decide biology was where you're going to start uh, when you went to post-secondary? Yeah, I, I think, um, to be honest, I, being a kid from Scarborough, there, I didn't have access to even know I liked theater. Mm. We never saw, I never saw plays. The only play I saw before that was Lion King. And we didn't have a draw. Like if we did have the drama program, I might've done it. So like, I think I did it maybe in grade 12 and I already had picked my stream that I was going into. So I just went with it. And then I didn't know how to, you know, fix it all. Like I was sort of just there, but the, and this is something that I know other people feel and I see it in my community, especially because I still live in Scarborough because I love it so much. They're the people, they don't know what's out there and the people who want to be performers or read a Shakespeare play in school and actually really like it have nowhere to continue that growth because of the way the world is. It doesn't have to be this way, mm-hmm. you know? And, so, yeah. and I think that's, that's like, that's what happened to me. And I've had chats with my mom. She's like, I should have signed you up for an acting program or something when you were younger, but like, you didn't even know you knew (laughs) like she's an immigrant. She came here. She had no idea. Like, sure. Now she, now I've opened her eyes up to those things. And, you know, in the future I can bring kids along and like do that for, you know, the next generation, but there's a whole bunch of people who have no access, no awareness. When I went to theater school is when I learned everything about theater, Canadian theater, about factory theater, Stratford, Shaw Festival. I knew none of that. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, there's a lot of work to do. Well, I mean, just on the topic of the work to do, just the fact that, that, you know, you know, it makes sense that, that, you know, people living in Scarborough and a lot of people living in Scarborough don't have an experience of theater because we put them all downtown. Our, 
our view of, of where the theater should go is, is, is pretty colonial. Let's put them downtown and, and let's keep them in these spaces instead of like sending them, like erecting them in communities and making them part of a community. Instead, people go to the theater, the theater doesn't reach out or things like that. It's a very uh, limited way of, 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 of experiencing theater and presenting theater. And I think too, Phil, if we were to begin to look at it a different way, there would be a lot of different types of stories, which makes good theater, you yeah. know? And I think they, like, I, I personally feel that some companies in downtown Toronto, they don't think that the people who live in Scarborough are going to see the show. They're not making it for you, mm-hmm. but you're not invited. <laughs> That's just a not- big deal. That's yeah. a big deal. Like, like we're making this for us, but you're not invited because it doesn't speak to you. Yeah, you think it doesn't speak to us, but you're also yeah. just making anything that's going to make some family say, oh, we should go and see this play. It has some of our, I don't know, cultural background in it or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, they're not doing that. And and it could, honestly, I personally feel like it could save theater if the the lens, like we looked at the whole picture just, instead of just looking through, you know, a little tiny people at who the theater goers are. I agree with you, Joella. Like, I'll give you an example, a positive one. <laughs> I I happened to be just kicking around factory theater. I was working on um, After Wrestling and the show right before After Wrestling was How Black Mothers Say I Love You is Trey Anthony's show. And I remember talking to the box office person aside I feel like another soapbox I have is the importance of box office in front of house people. Um, they are completely underutilized and uh, not respected. And they are the front lines, like they mm-hmm. hear everything and they have interactions with people. So I think they're a really important part of the theater. But anyway, I remember talking to the box office person about uh, people coming to see the show. And um, Trey Anthony has such a wonderful following you know, um, people come to like black people, especially are really engaged in her work and they are following her. They're like, what's she doing? They don't even care what platform it is. It could be a TV show. It could be a theater show. It could be her book, you know, at the Harvard, like they don't care. They're just like, Trey, we want to know what you're doing. We will be there. So people would call the box office and they're just like, okay, where's factory? They didn't know where it was, but they knew a Trey Anthony show was happening. They're like, what do I wear? How far is it from the go? Is there parking? You know what I mean? Like, so Black audiences, um, and I could probably speak to a lot of other audiences, but certainly Black audiences will come if they know that there's something that speaks to them. You know, and these folks who are coming to Trey's show, I'm sure they're coming from Ajax, Scarborough, Brampton. You know, they're they're coming from where a lot of Black people live, and but they're and they're willing to make the trek if they know that something is for them. But I don't really think the theaters have been doing that work to outreach to those audiences, you know? Um, something great that I remember listening to though, our Carolina Change was on, you know, that was on at the beginning of last year and there's a G98.7, it's like the black radio station. And my partner and I listened to it and I heard commercials for Carolina Change, you know? And I was like, good, this is exactly where they should be. You know, every theater should be thinking about these kinds of um, grassroots initiatives to reach people like to actually get them to come because as joella said this is actually what will save the declining audiences 
everyone's like, why aren't people coming? I'm like, well, you're overlooking major demographics of people. They would come if they knew about it. They would come if they felt like it was for them, that if it was a welcoming space, you know, um, I, to be fair, I feel like in Toronto and, you know, I actually think Mervish does a really good job. Lots of people know about Mervish, you know, they know it's a big show. They know it's going to be a fancy theater, but it's also inaccessible in some ways because the prices are so high. Right. So people are like, okay, I can go to a Mervish show like once a year um, or something, if something's really exciting, but they will come. And that kind of approach where we were like, we actually want people to come to this is, is what we need, you know, and, and within that, we take a step back, we get back to the Black Pledge, we get back to the EDI work, because that's the work that will transform your organization um, into a space where everyone feels like, okay, we are ready. <laughs> we're ready for people to come to this, this theater. We're ready for the artists. We're ready for the audience. We're ready for the practitioners to do their work. Um, because right now, if that doesn't happen, we're in, in danger. Because when the theater is open again, people are going to be really open. And if they show up and it's a bunch of work that's boring and doesn't appeal to them, they're not going to mm -hmm. come back. That's, I mean, I think, you know, uh, speaking about audiences, we've spent a lot, uh, theaters do a lot of hand wringing about where's our audience. But when you're relying on such a small demographic for your core audience and appeasing them, you're not, you're really limiting yourself. If your audience is, you know, your subscribers are all older people, older white people, and that's who you're catering to, then it's no reason why the young people aren't coming to your show. It's no reason, there's no, it, it makes sense that, that, you know, black people don't see themselves on stage, that, that, uh, that Chinese people don't see themselves on stage because you're not presenting that to them. You're not giving them a place, you're not speaking to them. Um, yeah, and so it's important to, I think one of the big step is, steps is understanding like perspective. I think I always tell this story and it was a huge eye opener for me when I was in school. Um, I had to take, you know, the degree was fine arts. So I had to take a, an art history class and they were talking about what fine art was. And then all the art that I grew up with, with my Caribbean heritage was seen as craft. They kept calling it craft in the book and in the, and I was like, craft. And I was like, I thought this was art. Like, isn't this all art? Storytelling, woodworking, um, you know, making costumes, be, like stuff like that. And so I wrote this big essay at the end of the year about that, the challenges that that brings and how that stops people. And so I think if the perspective is that this art form is big and fancy, um, you know, it blocks out a lot of people when it's actually quite similar. Storytelling is storytelling and your storytelling is not better than that story person's storytelling. So just working on, you know, understanding perspective and understanding that even if you grew up in a society and you don't feel like you're that way, it's kind of ingrained in you because of society and you don't realize it. And so you have to do, and, and, you know, that's what the pledge is asking you to do is to like go inside and sort of inside yourself and sort of kind of see, oh, what are some of the things that I believe in that, you know, are maybe stopping me from having a more worldly view or having a more open view about the possibilities of theater. Mm -hmm. 
it's a real thing. And, and because of my experience in like the carnival and performing there and performing here, it's like, you know, um, just everything about it is, is looked at differently and is looked at as other, um, when it's, it's very, it's similar to me because I'm in both worlds. Definitely. And to add to that too, um, so many, I just want to acknowledge, you know, so many of the pioneers that came before us. Um, like I worked a lot with Audrey. I used to, uh, back in the day, I was working at Be Current and also in the Raisin Ensemble. And she and others of her contemporaries, like um, Afua Cooper and, you know, Vivine Scarlett and like all kinds of folks, they had to break down these barriers because yeah. like I talked about it in my presentation when I was talking, uh, doing my work around the fringe uh, for the EDI audit that they're doing. And, you know, when the sort of the dawn of like Canadian theater, it did not include people of color uh, and the work that black people were doing. And I can speak to that, but probably various other cultures as well, but certainly the work as black people were with, was doing as Joella said wasn't even considered art they're like oh that's community theater or that's not even like what is carnival that's not art you know like it's not fine arts it's craft it's all of this you know this is the legacy that they had to um break down the door for and they did that you know so that's why we're even here able to do the pledge however um there's still work there's still so much work to be done they were only able to do what they were able to do within the capacity they had and they still did a lot because I mean even when we look at the structural changes around places like the Canada Council and Ontario Arts Council and I've been on a few juries and so you know this priority groups remember we have to remember that that priority group thing didn't even exist it was not a thing yeah um it because it was because of the activism that broke down and said you can't you have to give us money <laughs> like you have to give us a share of this what we're doing is art and it's important unfortunately that legacy continues and so now it's really time for us to do the next step in this journey to transform that you know um and to let us tell our stories the way that we want to um and to recognize the many traditions that are not just the eurocentric tradition you know um we as black people especially so much of our legacy across the diaspora is rooted in art like art is a major part of how we live you know we're very creative people <laughs> i think black people are we're so creative creative like if you think of even just the legacy unfortunately of slavery and how we took that and made that into something like from trinidad especially it's like they didn't have an instrument they made one out of a drum they made one out of like a pot you know it's a steel drum now you know they couldn't do this, so they made that. Like that is the legacy that black people have to bring. You know, is we create out of nothing. We've created and may, managed to even may, um, maintain and retain some of the um, traditions from the motherland and make them into something else. So we have so much to offer. And I think theater knows that. And they've certainly taken from us. And mm. we're wanting now and continuing to want and hopefully build like a more reciprocal relationship where when we come into those spaces with our stories and with our traditions that, that we are, um, that we're respected 
you know what I mean? And that our audiences are respected and that we're acknowledged as being the major part of the Canadian, like Canadian fabric that we are. Um, there's two things that I want to fit in just as we were sort of like drawing to a close here. Um, I want to save uh, just uh, some final information about the Black Pledge for the end. So it's like the tag at the, at the very end of the episode. So before I get to that, one of the things that I've asked everybody since for about a year, God, for a year now since the, the pandemic started is, is what has been giving you joy? What has given you joy that's like helped you get through the day, that's like gets you out of bed each day? For each of you, can you tell me something that that's given you that's given you that kind of joy? I really like that question. <laughs> it's such a nice question. I think um, what I've realized for myself, Phil, is like this pace of life is really healthy for me. And um, it's created a uh, space for introspection and it's actually created deeper connections in my with my family and my friends and that's been um really lovely to see and I hope I hope that a lot of people realize that um life doesn't have to be so fast all the time I think it's really good to slow down and take breaks and enjoy the moment because you, 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 when you're in that space, there's a lot of ease in your life, but it's also, um, I don't want to use the word healthy. I think it's also just um, important because you see things and you get to experience things fully. Mm. So that has really brought me, you know, joy. I get up in the morning, I relax, I <laughs> make my breakfast, I actually sit there and eat it, I like sip my coffee, all those things. It's just like, wow, like this is this is actually what life is. It's not all the crazy rushing around and insane stuff. It's actually the the all those little gifts that you get. And um that that has brought me a lot of joy. Nice, thank you. Uh, Sedna? Yeah, I feel similar to Joella. Just time has brought me joy, increased time. I'm still doing the most. <laughs> and then just like, how did I always, I keep saying I'm going to do fewer things than I never do. Um, so I just have to accept that about myself. But yeah, it's just been, there is time because I'm not running around from thing to thing and place to place. Or um, I actually, it's been time with my partner, like I live with her and we've just had more time together to laugh and be silly. And that's been really lovely. And I've had more time to do journaling and to dream. And also just even that I was thinking through what would have been like for this pledge process if we had had to meet in person. And, you know, it would have been really hard, I think, for us to get this off the ground. Just having the time in terms of, and the ability to meet online for nowhere, we didn't have a choice, but mm. I mean, still, it's still like, instead of me needing two hours to get to a meeting, right? Cause it'd be like, okay, I need an hour to get ready. And then an hour, half an hour to an hour to get there. It's like, nope, I can wake up and write in my journal 
and eat some breakfast and have some tea and then get on a Zoom um, with a wonderful group of Black women on a Friday and talk about the pledge. So, and other projects I've been doing too, you know, it just has been that, that time, a little bit more time to myself, a little bit more breathing room. Something else that's been bringing me joy, I think, is um, I just see such an increase in empathy. I feel like this pandemic has made us all a little tender and a little just more, you know, empathetic to everyone. It's like, okay, things are late. <laughs> the technology's falling apart. You having issues, like people who are taking care of kids, it's like, okay, your kid's here you know, some people's pets show up, you're like, you just have to, you know, we've experienced some deaths, I'm sure. And it just, I think it's just made all our hearts a lot more open. And that's been really joyful too. Thank you. Thank you both. Just to, just to close off and to talk a little bit more about, about the Black Pledge. Um, we're recording this before it's, it's finally released, but as of the, as of the 22nd, when it is released, um, where can we find it? So that's my first, that's my first question. So how, how could uh, a theater company find it? How could an individual find it? Go to the blackpledge.ca. The blackpledge.ca is our website. It will be live on Monday, February 22nd. Um, as well, you can email us at info at the blackpledge.ca. Um, we've talked a lot about how um, companies and how the Black Pledge is there, you know, how companies and theater companies and organizations can use the Black Pledge. How can an individual use the Black Pledge? How can they support the Black Pledge? In the works, certainly, is a pledge for individuals. And that pledge will look a little bit different than the one for the ones for organizations. Um, just to outline the process just a bit, basically with the pledge, the steps are to read it, you know, tell us through a form that you want to sign up and we will be in touch with you, you know, um, for, for organizations, we'll be in touch with you and we want you to submit what your plan is going to be. And then we're going to come up with a schedule to check in with you for your plan and, and hold you accountable for what you said you would do. Um, for individuals, they definitely have a role to play. And so, yes, there'll be a form as well for people to sign and for people to publicly put forth the actions that they're going to do. Um, so just stay tuned because we're still working through the individual pledge, um, but the organizational pledge is, um, is very close to being ready. I'll be looking forward to seeing the individual pledge as well. And uh, I hope that uh, everyone who's involved in, in the arts world takes a look at the Black Pledge and signs on to it and, 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 and does hold themselves accountable. And, and, uh, and, and, and participates. Thank you, Phil. That was so, yeah, <laughs> that's how I feel too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You summed it up exactly how I feel. I hope, I hope everyone, uh, you know, gives it a read and, and, and actually truly considers it. Well, Joella Sedna, thank you so much for talking with me this evening. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Phil. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for having us.